I crave that you have uh, brought your Bibles uh, with you and will uh, follow me. We're looking at Acts chapter 4. We're also going to be looking into Luke. So uh, if you have, again, your Bibles available and can track with me. I want to read a portion of scripture that will be lengthy. Uh, so I'm, again, I'm asking you to concentrate, uh, listen to every word. I welcome you to the word of God. We're beginning Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the things that, of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed them to each other, to each as everyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite, of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. He kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was not your, under your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked, uh, answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Uh, you're aware of the fact that the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts were written by Luke. Both of them. And you are aware of the fact that both of them were written at the same time. In other words, it didn't, he didn't write the gospel of Luke and then say, oh yeah, six months later I got another idea and write the book of Acts. He wrote one book. It was really volume one and volume two. Now the significance of that and the reason that's so important is because of theme. He didn't have one idea for the gospel and then another idea for the book of Acts. He had one idea. 
So whatever the purpose of the book of Acts is, hey, that's the purpose of the gospel of Luke. And whatever the purpose of the gospel of Luke, that's the purpose of the book of Acts. There are not two purposes, not two themes, one theme. When you begin to walk through the book of the gospel of Luke, you begin to discover the main overwhelming purpose theme of the book. And it is this merger, this this fullness, this filling of the Holy Spirit, this spirit of Jesus literally fusing with your life, literally filling you up, literally empowering you and sourcing you. And that becomes the whole theme of both, both volumes. For instance, you find that all through the book, uh, the gospel of Luke. The very first chapter tells you, oh, God is moved. The Holy Spirit has come upon uh, Elizabeth and John the Baptist is born. It's a miracle because they're of old age. Same chapter, you move in and find, oh, God has moved upon Mary and the, the fullness of the God has come and, and, and Jesus is birthed. So the only explanation for the birth of John the Baptist and the only explanation for the birth of Jesus is God has moved, God has filled, God has come upon, God has permeated, God has merged. And the book just flows in that everywhere you go. Simeon, an old man down at the church, hey, the Holy Spirit has moved upon the boy and he gets this vision and this knowledge of what's going to take place and he rejoices when it does take place. You realize that early in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus does no miracles. His whole childhood is blank. We, we have no information at all. Why? Because it doesn't matter. What matters is at the age of 30, he begins ministry. Miracles begin to flow. Ministry begins to spill out. Parables begin to be told. All of this fantastic crowd begins to gather. All of this stuff begins to happen. It's like somebody flipped a switch and the guy just went crazy. What happened to the boy? Oh, that's easy. He went down to John the Baptist. The father through the spirit came and filled the man called Jesus. And Jesus didn't do anything in his miracles. See, Luke is strong on that. He says, hey, don't want you to think that Jesus did what he did because he's God. He did what he did because he was a man filled with God. And everything in the life of Jesus is only explained in this merger, in this sourcing of the Spirit of God within the human life. And that's his whole book. His whole gospel is that. The death is all about what? Not my will but thine be done, Father. I'm trusting you to raise me from the dead. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. Why? The man is filled with the Spirit. There's this merger thing that's happening. There's this sourcing thing that's going on in his life. The whole gospel is that. It's all over the place. It's the theme. It's the theme. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That Luke would present in the gospel one man filled with the Spirit of God. He's the first one to have it. First one to experience it. Now, you come to the end of that gospel, and you're probably like I am. I look at that all and say, well, that's Jesus. See, he's dead on, I'm dead off. Jesus is straight, I'm crooked. Jesus is always right, I'm always wrong. <laughs> yeah, he could pull that off. I can't pull that off. That's impossible for me. And yet he moves you into the same theme now. Moves you into the book of Acts and what does he have to talk about? He says, let's take a whole bunch of people mean and nasty just like you guys. And let's take what went on in the one man and put it in all of these mean nasty people and see what happens to them. And suddenly you have the book of Acts flowing 
And the book of Acts and its power. And the book of Acts and its influence. You have the, the, the Holy Spirit is moving. God is acting. Men are being one. The church is being birthed. Miracles are taking place. The whole world. And in 70 years, the world bowed at the feet of Jesus. And Christianity became the world religion. In 70 years. So what would you say his theme is? Oh, gospel. One man filled with the Spirit. Wow, a whole bunch of mean, nasty guys in the book of Acts filled with the same spirit. So what was going on in Jesus has been duplicated in all of these guys. Volume one, volume two. And you're the third volume. You. So what went on in him, went on in them, goes on in you. That's his theme. But here's what was so interesting to me. I discovered... A subordinate theme, not the main theme, not the dominant theme, but a subordinate theme. It runs parallel to everything that's going on in Luke, the gospel, and everything that's going on in the book of Acts. And he just pounds it, pounds it. Not the major theme, come on, but definitely a theme that is all tied in with the fullness of the Spirit. And all tied in with this, this merging that's being sourced by God. And he just pounds the thing. He constantly seems to be talking about it. Another theme. And it's the theme of materialism. Physical. But not just physical in terms of physical. But the aspect of the physical life which we would refer to as materialism. In other words, money, stuff, things. And that, be, that is a subordinate theme that is all tied in with this, this fullness of the Spirit. And he just pounds that thing. I had no idea, people, until I got into this study. In fact, Luke is so strong on this that he presents materialism, money, things, stuff, not as a blessing... But it's a curse. He presents it as a barrier, a blockade, a hindrance, something you've got to go over the top of if you're going to be what you ought to be. That there's no way for you to literally live in Jesus and know this, this merger and this sourcing of the Spirit of God unless you can somehow, by that spirit, conquer the area of materialism. So he presents it, oh, listen to these words. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can not serve God and materialism. His words. You can't have both. Wow. He's strong on that. I went into the parables of Luke. And the parables that are unique to Luke. In other words, aren't found in any of the other gospels. They pound. Hammer. This idea. They're full of the idea. Of materialism. 
Let, let, me, let me walk you through. Go to the, go to the Gospel of Luke. Let, let me walk you through. Go, go to chapter 7, for instance. In chapter 7, it's interesting that Jesus is in a, in, in a home uh, of the Pharisee who would obviously have some wealth. Some, some, he has a home and he's throwing this party. And, and Jesus is there in verse 36. And, and this woman, this, this woman... But she wasn't just an ordinary woman, but this woman crashed the party. And, and Luke says she was a sinner, which tells you automatically she was a prostitute. So here comes this prostitute into this party that Pharisee is having with Jesus. And everything is really going well, except when she comes. And what does she do? She crashes the party. She comes into Jesus and she ends up weeping and washing his feet with her tears <laughs> And wiping them dry with her hair. You see that in verse 38. And of course, everybody was upset and said, Well, hey, if Jesus really was any kind of a prophet, if he was any kind of spiritual person, he wouldn't let that woman even touch him. I mean, whoa. She's a sinner. What's going on? Jesus said, I want to tell you a parable. It's a parable unique to Luke. He says there's this, this, this guy and two fellows owed him money. One owed him 500 denarii, which was a denarii as one day's wage. So 500 of them, 500 days, that would be a whole year's wage. It's a lot of money. Over a year's wage. A lot of money. And the other guy owed him 50. And you know what he did? He forgave them all. He forgave both. And Jesus asked the question, which of them will love him more? And he framed, think of this, he framed the experience of forgiveness in the framework of materialism. Isn't that weird? Uh, flip over to chapter 10. In chapter 10, go down to, uh, go down to verse, uh, verse 21. Well, verse 23, I guess. Uh, as you move into verse 25, there's a lawyer. He comes to Jesus testing him. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus presents the law to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer said, you've answered right. The problem I have is, I don't know who my neighbor is. Who's my neighbor? And he told the story of the good Samaritan. You know it. See, this guy's going to Jericho, and he goes through Samaria, and he ends up in being beaten, and all of his materialism, even his clothes, are stripped from him. And he's left for being half dead. A priest comes by, but you see, can't afford, won't release his materialism to take care of the guy. That's a preacher for you, isn't it? It wouldn't help you. A Levite comes by, and he passes the boy up too because it would cost too much to take care of him. But the Samaritan comes by. He dips in his pocket, buys the oil, the healing oil, 
runs his clothes, bathes him, takes him to the hotel, pays for the room, and says, let him stay as long as he needs to. I'll be back and cover the bill. And ministry and loving God is all in the context of how you handle your materialism, your things, your stuff. Isn't that hilarious? Oh, go to chapter 12. Interesting, see, see, this is all over the place, and I've skipped some, you know. But go to chapter 12. Uh, down in verse 13, this guy comes up and says, Hey, my brother's ripping me off in the inheritance. Dad just died. Hey, I can't get my part. Hey, you, hey, Jesus, you put the pressure on him. And Jesus says, Oh, come on. And says, Let me tell you a story. Verse 16. And he told the story of the parable of the rich fool who had plenty. Leans back and says, hey, I'm going to build more barns and get more. And said to his soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you're a fool. Son, you're dead. Now what good are your barns? What a story. All in the context of your things, stuff, materialism. I haven't got time for all this. Uh, go to chapter 16. I will skip over some. Go to chapter 16 because this just goes too long. Go, go down to verse 19. There's a certain rich man who had... Jesus is telling a parable again. Rich guy, I had this, uh, I had clo- was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And at his door was a beggar named Lazarus, full of sores. <laughs> all he wanted, Lazarus, all Lazarus wanted was the crumbs. Just give me the crumbs that fall from the table of the rich man. The dogs. Thank God for dogs. Came and licked his sores. Both died. And suddenly the roles are switched. The rich boy's burning in hell. Lazarus is floating. In Abraham's bosom. I wouldn't tell a story like that. Jesus did. All about how you deal with your money and the integrity of your financial life. And how you handle your stuff. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, there's this theme. It's the aliveness of the Spirit of God indwelt within you. And then there's this sub-theme, which is all about 
materialism, things, and stuff. And it's all over his gospel. In fact, in his gospel, he told the story of the rich young ruler. Rich! He's got everything he needs. Young! All the health he could need. Future. Ruler! Plenty of self-esteem. Purpose in life. He rules. And yet, at the core of his life, in the midst of his much materialism, he has this cry inside that says, I lack. Well, what could he possibly lack? Well, see, I would have said, you need to pray more. I would have said, hey, read your Bible more. I would have said, hey, come and hear me preach more. See, I would have said, Jesus turned to him and said, I'll tell you one thing you lack. Go and sell all you've got and give to the poor. Well, Jesus didn't really mean that. He didn't want us to go and sell everything we've got and give to the poor. Why did he say it? For he was saying to the young man, listen. There is an obstacle in your life. There is a barricade. It's the materialism, the things, the stuff. And unless you can get over that, and I don't know how to get you over it except for you to give it all away. Now, if that prompts you to do that, see me after the service and I'll take it. (laughs) That's what Jesus said. Isn't that hilarious? Well, not really. Isn't that mind-boggling? The theme, fullness of the Spirit, all connected with how you, the integrity you have in your materialism, things, stuff. Wow. Well, that's the gospel. Yeah, well, go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts with me. Now, in the book of Acts, Pentecost has happened. Oh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Holy Spirit has descended upon them. 120 have been filled with the Spirit. And Peter stands up because the crowd is strangely moved. There's five, over 5,000 people hanging around. And Peter stands up because all the crowd is saying, what's going on? What is happening here? Whoa, what is God doing? So Peter stands up and says, I'll tell you. And he preaches this phenomenal sermon. And by the time he gets done, 3,000 people, the church is born. 3,000 people are saved. And then Luke, you know what he does? Oh, go to chapter 2, verse 40. After that sermon and after that happened, oh, it's in verse 41, 3,000 souls were added. Go to verse 42. They continued steadfastly. Now he begins to describe the result of that, what was happening in all of that, where they went with all of that. And here's what he says. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as as anyone had needed. And he correlates the coming of the Holy Spirit and the phenomenal move of God and materialism. Things. Stuff. Wow. But see, I can handle that because that's one verse. But now we're into our passage. And he won't leave the thing alone. Would you just bug off, boy? No, it's right there. In our passage, again. In our passage. I read it to you. 
It's a theme, folks. Let me try to break it down for you. Number one, connection. Connection. There is no question at all that what Luke is doing with this theme is he is connecting the movement of God on the one hand and your attitude and integrity in relationship to materialism, things, and stuff. You don't have any choice on that. You just don't have any choice. See, our passage in its context comes out of chapter 3. And we've dealt with that for months and months. See, there's a lame beggar who's at the gate beautiful. And Peter and John walk by, grab him by the hand, yank him to his feet and say, in the name of Jesus, be well. And the guy is not only physically, that is, crippledness is gone, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all the scars that were going on in his life somehow have been... And he is whole. He runs into the temple for the first time because he's never been allowed in. He's handicapped. But he runs into the temple for the first time and the crowd, see, this is, this is, they make a point, you remember, that he's over 40 years of age, that he was born and raised in Jerusalem and that he's been begging there all of his life. So everybody knows this guy. Again, he's not from Chicago. We don't know whether he's crippled or not. No, he's born and raised here. We wept with his parents. We know this guy. And when the word gets out in Jerusalem, the miracle, a crowd, there's over 10,000 people that came and gathered around the guy because he's running and having a big time. They go, whoa, isn't this phenomenal? And then Peter is right there because he's hanging on to Peter. And the word spreads. In fact, it was so powerful. You'll remember that when the Sanhedrin wanted to punish the disciples, they'd like to fix them like they took care of Jesus. They'd like to take care of them. They couldn't do it because the whole city of Jerusalem was talking about the marriage and how great it was and whoa. so over here what have you got you've got this wow miracle you've got this whoa can you believe this you've got this hey this is really something everybody's talking about it Christian and non-Christian everybody in town this is a phenomenal miracle you know what Luke does he says I want to show you another miracle equal to this miracle another guy made well no Maybe it was raising the dead. No. Well, what miracle could be equal to this one? Here's a claim beggar who's been made totally, absolutely well, been that way for 40 years. Whoa! How could you beat that? Luke says, I'll, I'll show you. Here's a group of people who are in oneness of heart and their attitude towards materialism is they don't call anything of their own their own. <laughs> well, I can see that happening with a small little group, couple families, you know, we gang, we gather together and we'll just share. I can, I can, no, this, by the time you get here, folks, 3,000 have been converted, 5,000 have been converted, and we don't have any idea how much in between. Come on, there had to be 10,000 members in the church, and you're going to tell me there was 10,000 people who neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own? 
Come on. That's a miracle. In fact, in my opinion, that's a miracle that supersedes any lame beggar thing. If you could take a group of people and pull that off. That nobody in the church was stingy. Nobody in the church pulled to themselves. Nobody in the church guarded their own stuff. And he connects those two. Second part of the concept. Connection, but combination. Combination. See, he says, let, yeah, I connected it for you, but let me, let me take you a little further. Now, look at this thing, verse 32. You got to see this. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither, did you get the word in my translation? I don't know what it is in yours. Neither... Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in column. Neither. Now go down to verse uh, 34. Skip a verse and go down to verse 34. Nor. So did you get the words? Neither. Nor. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. So neither. Nor. But those two verses don't follow each other. There's a verse in between. <laughs> See, he stuck something in between. Isn't that interesting? So you ought to take a razor blade, slice it out, and pull those two together and say, man, you're a poor writer, Luke. Because neither nor... See, they didn't call the things their own. No, neither did they call the things their own. Nor did anyone... See, those... But he sticks something in between. Like it's a sandwich... What's in between? With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. <laughs> I've really been getting into the idea of the apostles giving witness to the resurrection. Come on, it wasn't they stood up and gave data. They gave information. They described See, they never stood up and said, oh, you should have been there. His little toe began to wiggle. Then his whole foot began to tremble. <laughs> See, they weren't there. They don't know. <laughs> Nobody was there. It's just Jesus was out and gone. And again, the angel didn't come and roll the stone away to let him out. Came and rolled the stone away to let us in. Time we got in there, he was already gone. Nobody witnessed the resurrection. But these boys stood up and said, Oh, we want to tell you about the resurrected Lord. And what, as you begin to get into it in the passage, what you begin to understand is, Oh, what you begin to understand is, every time they stood up and began to give witness of the resurrection, it was powerful because Jesus showed up. Amen. See, he showed up. And everybody in the crowd began to, whoa, must be true. 
You have no idea how bad I want that. The wonder of standing up and talking about him. And as you talk about him, whoa, he shows up. And nobody remembers what you said. But they all remember, whoa, he was there. It's true. Isn't it interesting? That's jammed right in between a statement. Neither, nor, and in between that is, when they talked, Jesus showed up. Well, how do you get that? It's all connected with your materialism. According to the passage. Because here was a group of people who did what? Neither did anyone say that anything he possessed was his own. And here was a group of people. Nor did anyone, nor did, was there anyone among them who lacked. For they even took their lands and their houses and sold them and brought the proceeds. And with that kind of a crowd, you know what happened? Woo! The power of the witness of the resurrection took place. And grace was upon them all. And the movement of the Holy Spirit was directly, distinctly connected to their attitude Jesus. towards materialism. Oh, preacher. Uh, you're going to have to prove that to me. Oh, third point. <laughs> Connection combination confirmation prove it to me what's the confirmation Luke says I want to give you two, two illustrations a positive a negative what's the positive oh, there was this guy by the name of Joseph we liked him so well we called him Barnabas gave him a nickname because he was a son of encouragement he just was so wrapped up in Jesus, he never, you never heard a negative, negative statement coming out of his, he was never, oh, yeah, 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 it's raining today. See, he never said that. It'll, it'll, the sun will shine tomorrow. You know, he's just such an encouragement. When you're down, he just, oh, hey, God's going to bless. Whoa, he was just, he was such an encouragement. And he was rich. Well, no wonder he's encouraged. No, he went and sold, according to the verse, verse 36, he sold... All his land, brought the money, and gave it to the apostles. Positive illustration. Oh, let me give you a negative illustration. Whoa. See, the positive illustration <laughs> is two verses. The negative illustration goes from chapter 5, verse 1, down to 11. 11 verses. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. Went out and sold their land. Brought the money. We've given it all. But they kept some back. Was it all right to do that? He says it was. It was your land when you sold it. When you got the money, it was your money. Nobody required anything out of you. There's no demands here. But your attitude towards materialism, your integrity in your finances, 
you handle your things and stuff. See, your security, Ananias and Sapphira, is based upon your stuff. And you got all worried. And you didn't trust. He wasn't your security. Stuff was your security. And you lied. And they both dropped dead. What would you say is the severity of the passage? Well, they all dropped dead. God killed them. Well, it doesn't say he did. It doesn't say God killed them. So I don't want to ever hear you say that. Or I'll have to zap you. <laughs> and who knows what might happen to you. It doesn't say God killed them. They did drop dead, though. Why? This is serious! Your attitude towards stuff, the security of your life, serious! Wow, yeah. Hey, I didn't drop dead. But you're dying. You're dying. Why are you dying? Because your attitude, the way you view materialism, things, stuff. Why do you work? Brother. Stupid question. Why do I work? I'll tell you why I work. There's only one reason why to get up out of bed at 5 a.m. in the morning. Get down to that stinking job. I ate it. Can hardly wait to retire. <laughs> Hope I break my leg and get disability. <laughs> You're dying. You work for money, that is the sickest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why would anybody work for money? Well, what other motivation is there? Don't you get it? With great power, they gave witness to the resurrection. And the reason you work is because God has picked you up and planted you right in the middle of a whole dynamic group of people that he desperately wants to get through and you are to be the witness of the resurrection in the midst of and your motivation to get you out of bed. Amen. Well, when I get to the mission field, out, you are on the mission field, dear friend. This is it. So let's get off of the materialism. Let's get into, whoa, yeah, and God is so good, he gives us money on the side. Hallelujah. But hey, see the deal, the focus, do, are, you, are, are you seeing this? That, that's so biblical. See, everybody in the New Testament was a down-to-it, full-time, all-out call-of-God minister. Everybody. Everybody. Not all were elders. Not all were bishops. I long to be a bishop. But not all are bishops. 
was a joke. Not all are bishops, but all were ministers. Because there was nothing going on in their life. They had been filled with the sourcing of Jesus. They had come alive with his very power and life. They had been gripped. And their materialism came under the domination of that focus. And the security of their life was not in their materialism. Things and stuff. Okay, preacher, what are you after? What, what do you want? I suppose you're going to pass the plates. <laughs> no. What, what are you after? We don't want your money. <sighs> Keep your money. If you can. But it'll kill you. It'll kill you. We'll pick you up and bury you. You want me to go sell my land? What we're after is the wonder of the person of Jesus. So merging with your life. Isn't it interesting the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus in, in the close of one chapter says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then in the next phrases he says, Don't worry. What am I not to worry about? What you're going to eat. What you're going to drink. What you're going to put on. <laughs> Don't. Materialism, things and stuff. Why wouldn't you worry about that? Oh, I'm seeking the kingdom first. You know why we worry about that stuff? Because we're not seeking the kingdom first. Because the very fact that you worry about that means you're not seeking the kingdom. Well, what would happen if you just... If you just got filled with him. If you just... And gas, gas prices go like this, then they go like this, then they go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so what? Why well, am I going to? There you go, worried about it. Because your focus is on what happened if you, oh, and folks, I'm telling you, there's never been a bill that hadn't been paid. And when when diesel was five bucks a gallon, and we were driving motorhomes at eight gallons, eight miles to the gallon. Every eight miles, five bucks just went out the window. We had plenty of money. Yeah, Jesus, I 
Wow. I haven't counted on you. I've counted on stuff. I haven't, hey, I've counted on the works of my own hand. Worried myself sick about what anxiety over what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How am I going to, what do I have? What if I, what if they, what if, oh, Jesus. No wonder there's no great power in my witness. I spill nothing but death. And I'm dying. Materialism, oh God, is a blockade in my life. Keeping me. Hindering me. An obstacle. That I got to get over. That you got to help me plow through. Until the stability of my life is in you. Not in stuff. So God, I'm seeking you. Would you somehow rescue me in the midst of a materialistic world that's all wrapped up in what you have and what you got and how much of it you got? Would you rescue me and give me the mindset of Christ? Would you help me to see my job? God, would I preach for nothing? Would I pay to preach? Heads are bowed. Is your heart open? Come on, you're not going to sit there today, are you? And tell me that you haven't grind under your job. Wish you could get another one because the boss is mean. And you didn't see your job in light of the eyes of Jesus. You were feeding your face. Come on, folks. If we want the, if we want the power of God in the witness of his resurrection, great power in the witness of his resurrection and grace being upon us all. We got to see our materialism, our things, our stuff with new eyes. Altars open.